You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game up to the next level, I am Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Mm, it's, it's, been, it's been a... We're getting up to Christmas. <laughs> the holiday crunch is Mercury so was in Gatorade and... Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Oh my god, the holiday crunch is so real. It is. It is. It's, it's exhausting and yet it's it's a wonderful time of year right. for people, and we're all looking forward to it. And you know, it, it's I don't I, know, but I'm but I'm going to be glad when it's over. Yeah. I'm really going to be glad when it's over. I don't mean to be the Scrooge, this you know the 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 Ebenezer Scrooge of the show, but no, uh, no, I, I don't think you are. I think it's kind of like the rush to the end. Yeah, you know, because we're coming up to the end of the year. There's a lot of things that are happening, mm-hmm. um, and that definitely makes it. A, a challenge to try and think about. Yeah. So yeah. and, and work attention, through. Attention is split yeah. multiple ways. Because yeah. There's so much going on. Yeah. Yeah. And you're. I mean, in like in our case at work, like we've got stuff that's trying to be squeezed in before the end of the year, and mm-hmm. yet people are taking time off before the end of the year. And thank God, like our our like holiday schedule, where like use up your PTO before you lose it, kind of thing. Yep. Doesn't happen on the first of the year. Right. Like right. it's July for us, so that makes this a lot easier for us. <laughs> But every single institution that we work with is just like, come on, get these things done before the end of the year. And we're like, chill, come on. Right, right, so. right, right. Yeah, very, very, my work, of course, I'm, it's it's a rotating schedule of who decided to take the entire month of December off, you know, so. Yeah, or uh, every Friday. How, how many? Yeah. yeah, exactly. How many people's work are you doing today? So, uh, but uh, so we we do have a couple a uh, couple news updates to to, to to get to uh, get get on topic here. Yeah. Um. So, uh, we still have episodes uh for the holidays. Yes. Um. We know that the uh the next uh next show is going to show on is going to show up on Christmas Day. Hopefully. Um. <laughs> we will not be in the studio, but we will be pre-recording a show, so you will still. Get a show as yes. regularly scheduled next Wednesday. You will, um, but uh, it will not be live. So uh, don't don't be sitting in the Discord waiting for us to come. But on. we will be recording live New Year's Day. Yep, we will. Hungover as can be, Caitlin will be with us. Like, and see the grump on her face right now. Like right now. It's my last day off till April twenty fourth. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're lucky. Caitlin. I love you. I we love so you too. Sorry, we love you too. We'll pour one out so. for you. Yeah, we don't, you know, we might pour, we might bring some to pour one out. So, uh, you know, keep that in mind. Um, hey, so, little, little hair of the dog. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we're going to kind of do something different that day. Um, mm-hmm. we're going to bring back some of our discussions from, uh, the previous, this last year, the last, you know, 30 episodes and some of the stuff that people have been talking about on Discord mm-hmm. and really come to what you guys want to talk about. So, we're going to kind of open it up to a listener event. Yeah, so if you got uh, you know big burning questions that you know, and I know what like the end of our shows, we've been kind of uh, you know we, we do forty five minutes of talking and then we uh, <laughs> we do questions, we, we do we do like five quick minutes of questions yeah. where we kind of give some truncated answers. And I know a lot of times we don't probably give as as broad of an answer as as some people may like us right. or you. Right. Um. So this is this is kind of a good good time to submit those topics yeah. that you know we really can deep dive into because our entire show is going to be all about you, the listeners. So uh, just let us know what you want to talk about and we'll talk about it we, we appreciate that Knox. you uh you sitting in for us would be great unfortunately <laughs> that we, we can't we can't do that too we can't do that to ourselves otherwise we'll slip up and that life will be bad uh so also uh we've got a thing i think a few of you saw that and that is uh we'd like you guys to submit your uh character deaths and now this doesn't always have to be your character it can be a friend's character it could be someone else even could be npc deaths yeah. a we've villain of some kind you got know? a dedicated challenge channel uh for that on discord mm-hmm. uh if you're not on our discord first off you should be yeah uh but you know uh realizing discord's not maybe not 
for everybody. You can submit them to us uh, uh, through Twitter, please, uh, as well. Um, so, you know, just uh, just tweet at us. Uh, let us know about who the character was, yep. uh, whether it was a PC um, or whether it was a, a, a beloved NPC mm-hmm. or something like that. Maybe it was the big bad evil guy of your uh, of your campaign, uh, some rando off the street that a m- r- miraculous set of dice rolls uh, sent to his doom or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let us let us know what that notable character death was, who they were, and uh, we're gonna. You know, we have some plans maybe for those. We welcome so. you all here. <laughs> all of it. All hail the honored dead. That's right. So uh, I think that's – Yeah, thus, that's, that's thus concludeth announcements. So I guess we go into answering our Patreon yep. supporters. So uh, again, uh, Knox has been wonderful and put brought up to the uh, contributor level and mm-hmm. thusly once a month he gets to submit to us a idea for a show. And uh, so tonight he has asked us uh, to go into a little bit of depth about a term that gets kind of thrown around, uh, especially nowadays. Yeah, like I think it's more of a modern term. It is very much a modern term, um, describing kind of what we would what we would use to call maybe like a character building day or something like that. Yeah, and, and I that think is the term session zero. Right, and at the same time, some of the questions kind of reminded me more of how to run the first session, the milk run, the part that wasn't necessarily a plot. And yeah. I was like, maybe we should talk about a little bit of both of those. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So so this is, uh, it's primarily, you know, a, a, a session zero uh, question was what was put to us. But we're going to ball in a little bit of, uh, a little bit of like your your first game session too. So maybe like your session 1.5, you know, yeah. 0, 0. 0.5. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your, your first pre- How do you start a yeah. game? Pre-plot, if yeah. you will. So, how do you get this thing off the ground? So session zero is usually a pregame session. So it doesn't have anything to do with plot. You're usually just getting together. A lot of times back in the day, excuse me, we would get together because somebody had the books <laughs> or somebody had <laughs> photocopied the character sheets mm-hmm. you know, or somebody had the dice or you didn't know anything about the system. And so players would get together. They talk about not only like how to build a character or what the type of game was or what the system was and maybe even discuss a little bit of the feel if if that came up. And I think that's becoming more and more of a common thing of like, yeah. hey, I want to play a game in this and who's running it? OK, well, can it be more of an intrigue game? And now that's starting to become I think a little more common, people wanting to put in their input on what they want the game to be, the pitch, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't – again, I think this is kind of more of a more of a modern thing you're seeing also because, uh, you know, as gaming has kind of evolved and kind of come out of the, you know, the the, the, the basement dwelling uh, first edition D&D, you know, sort of groups where there was really only one way to play the game and that was as a dungeon crawl. You know, you didn't really have – a lot of people running intrigue games and stuff like that. Well, not only that, but there's a lot of people, and I, I spoke with somebody very dear uh, who was talking about um, their first role playing experience, and mm-hmm. I was listening to it intently, and I realized their first role playing experience was uh, "Who's the Werewolf." It was oh, it was a, yeah. a table game that was role playing, yeah, and it is very much that. And yet, that is not my first thought of role play because my first thought of role play is dice, books, and imagination. But, but that is are... just as equally role playing. Yep, you are so, taking the role of a character in that uh, in that play. Yeah, and so in that, I would fully say that. Not everyone is on the same page with the system or with the design. So a session zero really gets you that focus point, gets you that mm-hmm. pitch, gets you that – gets everybody back to ground zero on what are we doing. Sure, sure. You know? And especially you, know, you, you consider also new players too where oh, yeah. they, they may not have a battery of knowledge to go off of, of to, to make an informed decision on what sort of game they want to play or something like that. So exactly. session zero is very good for just kind of laying those sort of things out and allowing them the form to ask those questions and have mm-hmm. that discussion uh, so that you can at least maybe prime prime them a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way of putting it. I think priming yeah. is great. So some of the stuff that comes down in a session zero that, that hit off on my mind is like what's the system? Yeah. And the system is, you know, whether or not we're playing, you know, a book-based system like 7C, D&D, Shadowrun, you know, World of Darkness, mm-hmm. you know, what what version we're playing in because I know that makes a huge difference, especially for D&D. Like, oh, it does. Uh, some people are serious 3.5ers and will never give it up. Mm-hmm. Other people are just like, are we going back to second edition, you know? Right, do right. I have to, do I have to learn this Thacko thing, you know? Oh, God. How dare you utter that word? Hey, you know. Everybody know, learns math at their own Technology speed. Technology is at home right now cheering. He's like fist pumping vigorously. I'm sure. I am sure. But uh, – and then like 
how often? The simple logistics. Where are we playing? Is it going to be here? Which you know, are we going to play at people's houses? Are we going to be playing at another location? Yep. You know, yep. how often? Once a month? Once a week? Every Friday? Twice Friday? You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. what, are we, what are we? What are we going to need? Yeah, to to, to proceed with this game. I mean, who who has the books? Like you you mentioned earlier, usually this was the the person who had the books. It's true. Know? It's true. Sometimes it still is. <laughs> so I mean, do do other people need books? Uh, do they need miniatures? Yeah. Are we? You know, what, what are we? What are we going to need to bring to the table here? You, you know? know. And I think another thing that's not even usually even discussed, but is definitely becoming prevalent is is there a cost? Yeah. I mean, DMs are now charging. Sure. It's really weird to say that, sure. but it's true. Well, hell, even even in our group, we had a brief discussion about uh, you know some sort of a, mm-hmm. a dues system, not but but you know on a voluntary basis to just you know, and it would always contribute into the game. Yeah. Because um, I was getting inundated with uh, uh, with with uh, Sour Patch Kids, which don't get me wrong, I love Sour Patch Kids, but there's only so many a girl can eat. So <laughs> that isn't true. There's only so many you should eat. Okay, that is fair. <laughs> I mean, overindulging in something is obsession, right? And right. The obsession is bad, but it doesn't mean you don't indulge daily. That's fair. You know, we all have our morning rituals that we wake up and do. Mm-hmm. I have my cup of tea, my emails, my little bit of writing. It's a wonderful morning. And just like you, when we come to game, we present the DM bribes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know? I wanted to talk about the DM bribes. Yes. Like, yes. Like, is that a thing? Like, and you, sometimes that's usually just between the players. But, right, right, right. You know. But uh, but but no, I mean it is it's 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 an important thing to to know because I mean especially as uh, like technology um, moves forward and things like miniatures and stuff like that start kind of making uh, a lot more prominence, I think um, you know as we we're, we're able to get things like uh, uh, like Hero Forge minis and. Uh, Oh God, that has made life so much easier. Dwarven, uh, Dwarven Forge. That's, a, that's oh, Dwarven Forge. Yeah, too, Dwarven yeah. Forge. I was searching for. You know, getting yeah. a good, a good, healthy selection of Dwarven Forge yeah. together to what uh, for 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 terrain, uh, even mm-hmm. building your own terrain. You know, this is going with a price tag, and it's it's great. It's, it's I love contributing these things for a hobby, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, it does. It's it's a little bit of an expenditure for me. You know, and then some of the other things that I would say that mm-hmm. kind of sit just beyond that is. Are there limits? Are there boundaries being set? Oh, absolutely. You know, do we have an X card? Mm-hmm. You know, and if you guys remember when in, in previous episodes we talked about this, this is this is the card that gets set that you know that's on the table that someone yeah. flips that basically says this is off topic for me. We need to stop this. This is this is I'm xing this out, and no one says anything. Mm-hmm. It is just killed at that moment in time. Everybody takes a moment. It's re- the scene is reset. If you if continue out on, out of character talk needs to happen. Then, yep. then it happens right there. Um, you know, there there was also that uh, sort of questionnaire going around a little while ago too, um, with the uh, the the sort of limits and triggers uh, sort of thing, where you know you can say like you know I spiders, I am severely arachnophobic. Spiders are not an option as yep. a monster because yep. if you put a mini on there, I my brain will regard it as real mm-hmm. and I will freak out. Yep. <laughs> yep. You know, and it's knowing those players, but being able to yeah. have that communication, mm-hmm. being able to allow that to happen. I mean, I've seen people do that uh, the sheet. Yeah. You know, where they go through and they just basically hit their checkboxes and say, okay, yeah. I'm running this game. Here's my pitch. It may mm-hmm. not talk about the feel, but then they can hand those sheets out and say, is there any of this that concerns you? And the people can do their little list, hand them back, and they go, okay, I now know it's off the table. Yep. yep. You know, and, and if good. there needs to be a discussion about it, they can. Sure. It's, good. it's great to do that during a session zero because it gets, it sets it from the very beginning. So you don't have to like find these landmines out in, you know, in, in play. Um, Let's see here. Uh, so we discussed uh, the, the the system, the location, the frequency, um, and then you know, of course, uh, there's there's the whole there's the whole tone of the campaign. Right? Are we playing a serious game? Are we playing a fun game where we can just kind of be murder hobos and stuff like that? Is this going to be a uh, episodic game where we can kind of drop in, drop out as needed? Or I think is that's this, huge. Is this going to be a you know a, a a long strung together campaign that we expect to go on for a while? And is everybody going to be able to make those yeah. requirements? Yeah, absolutely. You know? um, I uh, I was actually watching something earlier today um, by uh, uh, Brennan uh, Brennan Saint James. I want to say his name okay. is. Uh, he's from uh, College Humor. He runs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Dimension Twenty. Okay. Um, and uh, he was talking about um, 
So somebody had asked him as a listener submitted a question of like, you know, how, how do you know how long a campaign is going to run or something like that? And he was like, I don't think you really do. You know, he says, I've been running a campaign for 10 years and I, like, I, I didn't write it as a 10 year campaign. I didn't sit down and say, this is going to go on for 10 years. We just played for a while and then we decided to continue. You know, it was just a buy in for us. So but it but it's good at least to have the kind of discussion of like, is this a is this a quick little, you know, is this a jog to the corner store for us or is this a you know, is this going to go on for a while? Do we expect it to be, you know, a couple of years or, or or are we just doing, a, you know, a dungeon crawl or two and then, hey, if we have fun, we'll maybe keep doing that. Um, just just very good little things to kind of, kind of talk about there. Um. The last thing, though, and this is uh, one of those things that, like, actually, I've kind of come to to learn about in recent days, is there are systems like uh, Fate, like the Dresden Files. Um, I know Dungeon World and Urban Shadows. They're based on the same system, uh, Fate, uh, or mm-hmm. uh, sorry, uh, Ur- Urban Shadows and uh, Dungeon World. Yeah, um, where actually creating the setting mm-hmm. is a group activity. Yes. And you decide, you know, what what aspects will the setting have? You build the whole map in and, case of urban shadows. Yeah, and, and the sh- well, it, it, uh, even in certain systems here, the 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 um, the setting itself has aspects or attributes that can come into play. Um, you know, specifically like in the Dresden Files, which is based off the Fate system. You know, you make your city. It's almost like a living character in and of itself, and uh, so you can. You can do things like okay, well, it's a it's a cold, dark world is maybe an aspect that it has, and you can call upon that if it's appropriate in the story. You can be like, well, you know, but but we're in Chicago, and Chicago is in a cold, dark world, so I can compel that aspect, and now suddenly it's almost like a character in the scene. So, um, but those are all collectively decided upon by the uh, by the group as a whole. You're going to sit down and you're going to uh, discuss what you want that setting to be like and in that you're going to have that group discussion about it, it almost sets the tone for the campaign because it mm-hmm. is the setting you know if you're if you're playing a game with it's in a quote-unquote cold dark world well you know you're probably not going to get a lot of happy endings out of that, you know right but but no. you've all but you've all sat down and you've decided that so you are you collectively set the tone for the campaign right right mm-hmm. and I, I i think all of that sits within that scope of a session zero. It may not be just one. You may need to have multiple. I remember a couple of times where I was either playing D&D or Palladium for God's sake and we'd have a session zero and maybe a second one Mm -hmm. to try and get all the characters worked out while the storyteller – because the storyteller may not (laughs) have a full session ready to go. Yeah, full full eight-hour workday to make Palladium – Characters, so true. So many cross-reference books, and then I'm just going to say it: Paranoia is the only game where Session Zero is the game. Yeah, it is its own game. Yeah, uh, arguably, there was a game that came out, and I don't know how serious this game was supposed to be. Probably not, but uh, it's called Hole, Human Occupied Landfill. Have you ever heard of it? I have. Yes. I have. Uh, it was creating characters, and that was just outlandish mm-hmm. i mean you could die during character creation yeah <laughs> I mean, there, things there was there was the chart chart well of course it was a chart that you rolled on to t- to see which chart you needed to roll on <laughs> so much random that the game was itself a chart yes 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 so that kind of frames out a session zero yeah uh because we have it uh i'm gonna ask did, did is that what you were looking for Knox? are you Needing anything more about that in regards to uh, in, in regards to that session zero because we're going to step onto the milk run now a little bit and get into that. Ah, uh, the milk run. I, I've always liked the term. I think it's been fantastic. Oh, I think- no, no. I, I, I love it. And honestly, I love running the milk run. Yeah. Because uh, for, for reasons that, that will become evident, it's, it's, it's kind of neat from a storyteller perspective to run the milk run because it's very low impact on the storyteller yourself. Yeah, and you get so much character development out of them, and and, and the other thing is, is it's 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 a milk run for both the players as well as it is for the storyteller, mm-hmm. because on one scale you get the players trying themselves out, about trying these characters out, putting the skin on, running through the motions, seeing if they like the actions that their their characters are doing, and then at the same time the storyteller is looking at how they're interacting. Yep. 
what they know, what they don't know, teaching them maybe a little bit of the system, but at the same time, scoping out how they're going to react to things. Mm-hmm. Mm, pardon me. Keep belching here. Dinner keeps wanting to talk to me. I'm yeah, not sure what's going get, on. Getting dinner before the show is a double edged sword. It sometimes. is. It really, really is. Um, uh, so Knox says, is there a checklist of bases that need to be covered for a comprehensive trial run? I would say system mechanics are always a big thing in in what you're doing. For instance, in yeah. if I was going to be running a milk run for a character group where I had. Uh, socialites and combat people, I would make sure that I had both scenes down. Mm-hmm. I'd want to make sure that I had interactions in both parties. If I had – in D&D, I had a bard. I'd want to make sure that uh, that person was exploring all the aspects of their character. So mm-hmm. what you want to try and do is leverage those players who are uncomfortable so that they can be comfortable in playing that character type um, and immerse themselves in – uh, the mechanics of it. That being said, you also want to explore a little bit of their psychology. Um, I think D&D does a good job of, of this because you'll have their backgrounds in front of you. Mm-hmm. And that for players who don't have a lot of scope in role playing, that that background gives them a gimme of, of how to frame themselves. Yeah, and it yeah. lets them learn who they are a little bit because uh, most players first off are going to play themselves. They're they're gonna just sit with that mind frame of this is just me. Sure. You know, whereas sure. as you get farther along, you played multiple characters, you might have an idea for a concept. Now the storyteller can help kind of poke at that mm-hmm. by setting you in a scene and giving you giving you leave to run with that character and see what they're gonna do. Yeah, yeah. Um All right, so let's let's back up just a little bit because sure. I think we're we're trying to bridge the gap here, just waiting for uh make sure Knox had, you know, had his question answered. And I don't think we 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 broached the topic of what a milk run even is. It, it, it's going to the store to, <laughs> and getting milk and coming back. That is the the quintessential form of the formula. All right, all right. But but what does that mean in role playing terms? In role playing okay. terms, it is a simple, straightforward plot run. Mm-hmm. I am going to do plot X and return. It could be I'm going to get Timmy out of the well. Or I'm going to go and save the little girl from the, you know, the goblins in the cave. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I am going to go to this town and get the mail in return. I'm going to travel to this nearby dungeon and collect three MacGuffins for the Mages Guild. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So it's it's usually a collection, you know, whether it's a person or a thing mm-hmm. uh, that you're doing and returning. There is usually very little twist in it, if any. Those twists are usually designed not to necessarily mess with the plot but to mess with the players directly. For instance, uh, a good one for Shadowrun. Your job is to go to this facility, break in, steal this data, return to me. Simple as that. This is not a hard thing to do. This is easy. I'm going to give you all the door access codes, uh, you know, so you'll be able to break right in, get the code. The guy will literally step out of your way because I've already paid him Mm -hmm. and he will give you the data set and you will return it to me. That's it. Simple as that. And the problem comes in that you might throw in a go gang, a biker gang Mm -hmm. that sees you as an easy mark along the way. Or the the guard that he paid off uh, may have said, you know what? I got my money. I don't even need to be involved in this and skipped town. And now there is a guard that hasn't been paid off working his shift instead. Exactly. You know, it's it's subtle things like that. Mm -hmm. Things that will trip up but not – that don't hamper the plot. Exactly. You know? So why do we run milk runs? Because uh, they're something <laughs> – the short answer is because the GM doesn't have a story ready. <laughs> OK. But what if he does though? Uh, what do they do? To get to know the players. Yes. Whether it's – I should say both players and characters, getting to know them. Yes. Yes. Getting um, to know that balance. And then that's from an in-character and out-of-character perspective too. So um, there's a – basically it's it's so that everybody can learn each other. Yes. Okay. Because first off, in character, you've got a brand new group of people um, that are that are presumably together. I'm uh, so you've got either you've you know done the the famous we all met in a bar, or maybe you have spent your session zero crafting a background and saying okay, well you all need to be like I did my game. You all need to be members of the mages guild or mm-hmm. the fighters guild. You may know each other. You may not know each other. Doesn't matter to me. But you have to be in Anvil. In the the, the, the the country of Cyrodiil, in the Fighters Guild or the Mages Guild, and that's it. 
mm-hmm. those will give you if you are a member of either of those guild that will give you all the reason you need to be out adventuring um in service to those guilds uh so you guys all crafted your characters but you didn't know each other you know you had never met sean's character you had never met steve's character anybody like that so the milk run is great for just putting them in a low relatively low stress situation low impact plot wise so that you don't have to worry about well what are the grand social implications of whatever's going on in the background here you don't have to worry about are we saving the world um you know things like that it's just goblins in a mine or it's just security guards in a low security tech facility or something like that you know yeah you don't have to you don't have to think too much about that. Mm. Things are as they seem on face value. Yep, it's very black and white. And therefore, you can spend your time role playing amongst the uh, amongst each other, mm-hmm. getting to know the group dynamic, mm-hmm. you know. If in three, you know, three separate combat encounters, the barbarian spends his first action howling in rage, going to a rage, kicking down the door and attacking blindly the first the the the, the nearest closest enemy regardless of the threat that they pose. You kind of know what you're getting out of that yep. character. And now you know how to react to that. And that builds role play and that builds character. And you know? just as much as if the moment you step into the first combat, your mage of the group who normally, you know, who who normally is quiet is suddenly the super tactician and is micromanaging every part of the combat and telling everyone at the table how they should move and what they should do to optimize their combat capabilities. Mm-hmm. Maybe everybody's not comfortable with that. Yeah. And that gives you that leeway to be like, okay, I think it's great that you're doing this, but do we need to scale this back a little bit because you're you're kind of taking the fun away from everybody else. Yep. yep. You know, and that that may just be how they play and that may not be the same play style as everyone else. Yes. Yes. So it gives you it gives you a nice safe little place to work all these th- sort of things out without really I mean, your 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 milk run can tie into the campaign. Um Mine did on a marginal level um, in that it kind of set a tone for, you know, what the Mages Guild was looking for in the future. But it didn't really like – it didn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, you guys also found that Star Altar um, in there yeah. and that, that mattered later. Yeah. But that one didn't really matter. And I was going to say this. Doing a little bit of world setting, mm-hmm. you know, not world building but world setting, letting them see a little flavor of yeah. the world – in a session, in a milk run is a good thing. That's a it great gets them, thing. It gives the description of the world. It, it's not the plot. Again, you're removing plot elements. Mm-hmm. You're just saying this is the world you're currently living in. Yeah. You know, and this is where I want. I mean, literally, if the players – and I've I've seen this once before. The milk run started with you wake up in your cell and as the announcer is announcing the next fighters. Mm-hmm. And literally all the players – were caged waiting to fight except for one who was a noble sitting in the stands. Oh, wow. That that was the opening of the milk run. That's a, well, that's heavy. <laughs> it, it was a great thing to start with because the noble had to figure out how he was going to buy those fighters. And he was sitting next to, next to his – next higher up in his noble order who wanted him to take care of it. And so he had to not only keep them alive, but he needed all of them for some re- for this job that the guy wanted him to run that was nefarious. Now the fight was simple enough, and it was supposed to be theatrical, so they had to theatric, you know, had to make it all the- uh, theatrical combat. And and some players did bad, good, and some players were just tough. But then immediately following that was the actual milk run. Mm-hmm. But it gave a setting that this was a thing that yeah. there was a coliseum that these people that the lowest of the lows were often there making money. Yeah, sure, it's a great, great place to establish a, establish that, that that sort of story uh, yep. or uh, world building. You yep. know, not really world like you said, not world building, world setting. Right. You're just yeah. you're giving the scope. You're giving them the flavor. <laughs> but this is setting. a place where these things happen. Yep. Now, Knox asked a, a neat question that yeah. kind of went into this, and that was, is, do you ever bring a ringer 
to the milk run to mm-hmm. help them with the system and through session zero and the thing. I would say so. He de- he defines it. He defines a ringer, yeah, though uh, as a seasoned player that kind of leads the party for a one shot mission. Uh, so while they still have a goal, they can focus more on learning how it's done than stumbling trying to lead. Uh, Relics and rarities had Matthew Lillard be an expert on the party uh, that the party had to meet. Uh, for with their first mission, he kind of guided them through the story so that they could build their own dynamic uh, for the campaign, which I think that's a, that's a really interesting thing. Um, mm-hmm. I know um, in the initial home games for like Critical Role, Talison Jaffe yeah. was very much that role where yep. he was the experienced role player and everybody else was just kind of fools who hadn't played since once or twice in high school, you know? Right. Um, I think it's a good idea. I think it's always a good idea to have someone other than the storyteller know the system. Because because that way the, it takes the pressure off the storyteller to be teaching and running the game at the same time. Well, and it also adds a certain sense of excitement mm-hmm. because if you've got someone else there who's hawking up the, the – set, the maybe the setting if it's like Shadowrun or something like that. Yeah. But also enthusiastic about wanting to play, it helps draw some of those other players who are looking at it with, you know, this is daunting. I don't know if this is something I can do. It's a huge system. There's a mm-hmm. lot of rules to learn and they can br- help break down those barriers. Yeah. And like I've seen it even, you know, in in, in our own group dynamic mm-hmm. too where you've got, uh, you know, people pointing out like, hey, you know, if you move here, you can use your sneak attack and get an yep. extra 3d6 damage. Yep. Really? I can't? Like, yeah, man. And then they roll that crit and everybody's happy and, yep. you know. And and that excitement gets extended to the other players yeah. as well as bringing ringer role players in who may not know the system but have been literally role-playing multiple systems. That's an excellent point. To give flavor so that players who are used to just dicing it up suddenly start coming out of their shells and doing more role-playing. Well, not only not only players who are used to just dicing it up but you get your newer players who are mm-hmm. timid role-players oh, yeah. who like – they they want to role play, but at the same time they feel a little self conscious about putting on an accent or you know getting excited about emotions that they themselves as a person aren't they're really RP feeling. Shy. Yeah, they're <laughs> RP shy, you know. And we've we've all been there, especially as as beginner role players. You don't want to just you know jump into a character and just yeah. be super extra in front of all of your friends. It's no. or it even is. people you don't know. It's a it's it, it can it can be a little bit embarrassing mm-hmm. and a little bit intimidating at first. Yep. So having that ringer role player who goes in there and you know. Drops a voice. Don't worry. I'll talk to the king. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden yep. they're doing an accent and they're yep. they're bold and they're doing these things. Like, they're interacting with the DM with those kind of things. It gives you sort of an unspoken permission to mm-hmm. also be a little extra at the table. Right. And they already have the understanding with the DM that they're not the ones who are going to get the inspiration points or the drama or whatever for doing the role play. They're already there for the table for that. You know, they're there helping other people and the storyteller may give them kudos for helping other people get into that um, as a thing. But they understand that they're they're there because they're part of – they're here to want to be part of that story mm-hmm. and they're there to help. Yeah. Because you know? every day they could be getting the kudos for doing the best role playing. Sure, sure. Because yeah, sure. there are games that say at the end of the session who was the best role player, who was the best at this, mm-hmm. who did the best at that. They're there to vote everyone else up. You know, and help keep the game going and positive. Right, right, right. Oh, I think we may have lost audio. Yeah, we're seeing. Oh, it's back. Okay, we're it's good. Back. Okay, cool. We're good. All right. All right. Yeah, good. Then. The, the, great job, Caitlin. That's fantastic. And Knox is actually saying that uh, that I was his ringer. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. So, uh, I'm I'm glad to have provided that uh, that that uh, uh, that service for you. Yeah, yeah. So, um. A few of the things that we didn't talk about with the milk run that I think is important yeah. um, is that uh, whether they're listed or not based on the system because sometimes it's directly listed, mm-hmm. um, bonds between the characters. Oh, yeah. What is really keeping them together? I mean Shadowrun does it deliberately. Everybody's in it for the money. Right. You know, right. The, the milk run's there for the money. But it doesn't give them a reason to mesh together as a group mm-hmm. and sometimes this gives you that little edge. Yeah. It also in – Larger camps like Critical Role does it really well uh, in that almost the moment that they sit down and start their first session together, they're already creating histories Yes, that had nothing to do with their characters like, oh, yeah, I know where you're from and your family's from. We bumped into a bar and nearly got into a brawl. Mm-hmm. You know, 
uh, you know, at this time. So, you know, and they just bring it up. They just start role playing it right into it. And everybody's always a yes and kind of motivator on those things. No, I'm, I'm going to ask you an honest question here. And sure. I, 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 this is not a leading question. I don't know the answer. To sure. This, um, is uh, we sat down uh, briefly to give second edition 7th C a try. Yes. And when we were creating those characters, you went through a series of bonds between yep. our characters, which were things like, OK, you owe Sarah's character a debt. What is that debt and mm-hmm. why? Yep. Um, you have a bone to pick with Stephanie's character or something like that. Right. You know, what is what is the the, the the issue of tension between the two of you? Right. And what will it take to resolve it? You yep. know, um, was that something that was written into the system? Or was that something you were throwing in to get us together as a group? Yes and no. In okay. the books, they did discuss bonding. Um, but I kind of pulled that together because in um, other systems like Dungeon World, uh, bonds are something that is uh, deliberate. Um, and I wanted to make sure with it because within 7th C, fate is a big thing and you have lines of fate that sit between people. So I wanted to pre-establish – some lines of fate that were bonding players together um, that they could then use as a role-playing tool and they could rebuild those again and again. Um, so they might be things that they want to resolve, which helps bring their – in the case of 7C, helps bring you forward. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a part of your plot. It's part of your history. Because right, right, in okay. 7C, especially second edition specifically, you actually – the only way to progress is to complete your story. Sure, sure. OK. So while there's an overarching plot – you literally are writing your story and the storyteller is working with you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that story involves another player. Sometimes it involves something totally outside the game. Right, right. You know, and so you're working to build that story together in a mm-hmm. unified group. So I wanted to pre-establish some stories. Sure, okay. And that's great. where I kind of went with that. Great. And that's those are again great things to handle during a session 0 and you know play out during a milk run. So mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. I'm just glancing over our notes about milk runs. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I think we pretty much covered it. Do you want do you want to get some questions? Yeah, I mean, I it's a little earlier than we usually do, but we have some uh, good questions. It though. gives us some breathing room for. Oh well, God, we have a lot of questions too. Yeah, we do, and and I think I don't think we're going to get through all of them. Um, but um, there was one in here. That I think both of us saw and we wanted to address. So I'm, I want to take these out of order. I'm just trying I, to find I, the I one. Know, I know I really liked one of Overwatch's questions. If you want to hit it, go ahead. All right. So Overwatch is asking, uh, have you ever been completely perplexed as to how players have received slash reacted to an instance in, of your storytelling? Uh, did follow-up or hindsight help it make any sense? You want to go first? No. I'm going to need a minute. All right. So for me, uh, it's honestly pretty much every session. Okay. And uh, it's probably one of my biggest sources of anxiety, or at least I, I would say was. Uh, as I was, I, told you, I was telling you at dinner that, that your talks, you and I, before we started this podcast, mm-hmm. um, and I think I think probably the talks that led up to us making this podcast okay. um, about storytelling in general – um, really helped set me at ease about this, but it used to be a really big source of anxiety for me that um, I felt like my writing was very predictable because every time I thought I had written a big plot twist TM um, that you know was out of left field and no one would ever see it coming and I would drop what I believed to be as a subtle little hint that you probably would never notice in a million years unless you were really paying attention gets – Instantly called out, and it's it's it, it was usually you um, who was like, oh yeah, this is totally what's going on because you said this, and wham, I know exactly what what the, what plot twist is about to unfold. Mm-hmm. Here we are, and it made me feel like like, wow, was my plot twist that telegraphed or that simple or that utterly predictable? Like, and I felt really like I'm very taken uh, caught off guard. Like every time my players. Follow my plot, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> no, no, I, I get that, and I and and to the point where I was saying that, and we talked about this at dinner tonight. Yeah, you're surrounded by people who role play, mm-hmm. by who listen to stories, who who think about these things, and so it's easy for them to start pulling it apart. Um, 
And I think that's fine. I don't think there's a problem with that. Um, I think the twists really come into what does it mean in the end? Like how do you, how does the story change someone? Right. The right. twists are obvious in most cases, though it's the twists of the mind mm-hmm. of of the player. Or, sorry, of the character that really gets you. You know, and I think that's the part that yeah. really is going to start baking at people. Um, is because oh yeah, we we could see you know that. Clearly, it was the hat that was that was a magical cre- creation, and the guy was basically he's just a facade underneath mm-hmm. it. Um, the The twist was more, well, crap. What do we do now? We can't get close to it. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to affect us too. And there's a god involved. Shit. And you're like, well, that's my plot. And they, no, no, no. It's how you resolve after you've <laughs> discovered these things. Like, oh shit, it's a dragon. Oh shit, it's a dragon. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, well, the, the 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 two things that I that I to, to, to follow it up that that I had to kind of come to terms with, and that I think I think I'm coming to terms with, yeah. is what what you said to me about it was mm-hmm. my specialty. Mm-hmm. If I were a chef, is not making complicated, you know, multi layered risotto, you know, mushroom risotto or something right. like that. That's you know a really difficult uh, dish to master or something like that. I make steak and I make potatoes. And everybody knows what steak and potatoes is. Like it's a slab of beef and it is a, you know, tuber, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. That's it. That's as complicated as my plots get. But my steak is perfectly cooked. Mm-hmm. My steak is seasoned mm-hmm. well. It's mixed with garlic and onion and, you know, all it's these. It's got the good marks on it. Good got, grill got marks. The, got the perfect little grill Minute marks on it. on either it. side. And that potato is just just firm but mm-hmm. still yielding. You and open it. Perfection. It's got that beautiful plume of steam comes, comes up right from off it. of it. The yep. butter melting just right over Caitlin's it. It's drooling next to us. The, just <laughs> the right amount of sour cream yep. and chives on yep. it. And you, you, know, you lay out in a beautiful display. And I pair it with a wine. Mm-hmm. Not too expensive or pretentious, but, nope. it, but it matches the flavor profile. Yep. You know, and so – yeah, sure. Maybe your plot isn't going to be, you know, the risotto of complications. But damn it, if all you can serve is steak and potatoes, serve the best damn steak and potatoes that you can that you can put on the table, you know. Yeah. And my plot my 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 plot twists may not catch anybody by complete blind surprise leaving them reeling for 4 days going I can't believe that happened. But when my plot happens, whether it's straightforward or not, it's going to leave a very satisfying aftertaste. Yeah. The second thing I realized is that sometimes it's not important to throw that curveball and throw and, and catch everybody off guard. If your party realizes what is going on and can put two and two together and see your plot hook coming, maybe it's because you've done a good job storytelling and world building and that answer makes sense. Yeah. And they are drawing the logical conclusions with a bunch of fantasy, you know, of course a god is involved. Why would we not see that coming, you know? <laughs> it, I think one of the proudest moments was when um, I think four or five game sessions before it was ever relevant, uh, Sean turned to me and said, I'm looking for poppy flowers. Are there any growing around? Mm-hmm. And I was like – Oh, well, that's a plot point that's not going to happen for a while. But you are correct. There are no poppy flowers to be found here. But holy cow, are you going to feel glad you asked that question in about six game sessions when suddenly they start popping up? You know? Yes. And that and that meant that I was setting the stage well enough that he knew that that might be a thing mm-hmm. and asked about it. Yeah. So I, I will probably have to come back to this because there have definitely been times that I've been perplexed. But I like I think it's just today that I can't think of anything off the top of my head. So I want I want to go to Knox's session zero question that he had just to make sure we got it. Um, and that was uh, for new players who are unsure of what kind of play style they want. Is it better just to describe the types and ask which sounds good, or to subtly give them a sampler plate within within your session zero and later ask which parts they enjoyed the most? Maybe both. Now. That's an excellent question. I would say you're on the exact right track for the right people. Um, but it comes down to inspiration. 
Um, a lot of times if you've been with the same storyteller, you know the flavors that they're going to be throwing out and giving you options. Um, if you know your players, you know what they'd like. But if you don't know either of those things, if you're starting a new game and you've got brand new people involved, you might need to do that. You might need to give them uh, a couple of choices. Now, I always say keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Don't give them more than three choices. Don't express more than three things, but always communicate. Set that up in the session zero. What did you like? What didn't you like? Mm-hmm. That should always be coming out so that it's a regular thing, that they feel that, that their val- that their input is valid and is helpful at you making changes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think that that player feedback is probably the most valuable and underused aspect of of our of our breakdown at the end of the at the end of the night. Yeah. Um I, I to to your question, I would say if it were me, I would subtly give them a sampler plate in the session 0, mm-hmm. you know. Um I I might I might, you know, just freehand a scene off the top of my head and just be like does that sound appealing to you right you know would you like to be part of that scene right or you know for or you know have you read over the combat rules are there anything in your in your you know your character sheet like if we're playing fifth edition you know are you excited to just you know are you playing a rogue and you want to just mash sneak attack as you know as many times as you possibly can in a combat encounter right okay you know maybe you're into more of a hack and slash thing you know that's, or that's you, fine. you present a room full of bad guys and the whole group stealthfully goes around them mm-hmm you you kind of know where they want to go with this. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're terrified or, or or is that a flavor that you're trying to put out there? And keeping in mind too that um you know, especially early on in your campaign, uh it's it's good to have some flexibility as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um we all might have our stories that, that we want to tell and and a good idea of how we were, we're going to tell them, mm-hmm. but if it turns out 3 or 4 sessions in that the feedback you're getting is there's not enough combat in my game, you know, start making some edits. Yeah. You know, start throwing more combat encounters in there. Make your make your social um, your social situations a little more a little more straightforward and a little less uh, you know intertwined into you know deep subcultures of everything that they're going to need to spend yep. whole game sessions doing history checks to figure out. You know, make those adjustments. Hand yeah. them a few plot points and see where it goes. Yeah, there was a Seventh uh, C game that I was listening to where one of the storytellers actually. Uh, had the original game set with these the, the characters are all nobles, mm-hmm. and so he was expecting it to be a very high society story, and the players just weren't keeping up with the great game, you yep. know, of of going back and forth, and so that's me, that's one, me in a nutshell. Right one there. of so one of his NPCs that one of the players had to meet because they they forced a contact, like I, I need a contact for this. He's like, okay, uh, yeah, that's uh, it's Charles. Uh, what is he? Well, he used to be a duke. He now owns an escort house on the Lower East Side. I mean it's well enough and many nobles go there and basically painted them down into lower society. And suddenly now they were these high nobles that had to dress down and were working with other people and Mm -hmm. society came down to a very simple level. You know, it was very simple requests. It was things that people needed and they were becoming the heroes at a lower level. And it was just a different – it was literally the same plots ran in a different design. Yeah. You know, bar fights were a thing, you know, but sometimes they were using their wit to retort people, Uh huh. you know, and things like that. So that successes meant that they would be able to eloquently – Use dance moves to get away from somebody, mm-hmm. you know, because they weren't expecting it. And they were still nobles, so if they ever yes. did want to go kind of back and try the game again, or needed to, yeah, yeah. you could you could step they right back up connections. to your station, yep, and right back in. Yeah, and it was it was neat that he did that for these players so that they could feel out how and who they were. Yeah, and it it was a nice change. It was that's, a nice thing to listen to. That's great. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then there of course there was the uh bar fight that happened between two players and two goblins where they used cutting words and uh what's the other one? Uh the retort. There are spells. Oh, uh cutting word vicious, vicious mo- mockery. mockery and cutting yep. words. Vicious mockery, yeah. And the goblins couldn't hit. They weren't hitting the AC. <laughs> So the combat basically ended with one of the goblins holding the other goblin and walking him out the door crying. 
Oh no! Yep. Oh, yep. yep. Insult poor fight. Little green babies. Yep. No. Insult fight. Yep. No. Yep. So, um, all right. Let's head another one of these. Uh, let's. See. Oh, uh, I want to want to address uh, Technolich's uh, one one Technolich's question. Go for here. it. Um, oh God, I don't know which one I want to I want to answer because I've got I've got I've got answers for both. I think. Um, so, okay, so the first one. Uh, what it, what does one do with NPCs after they have fulfilled their plot arc? Is it better to burn out or to fade away? Ooh, uh, I will say in Seven C they get reused. Yeah, I was constantly. Gonna, I was going to say uh, did, not neither. Yeah, why are you burning out or fading away once mm-hmm. your plot arc is fulfilled? You exist as a, a as a PC. You exist in a world. Yeah, and uh, that world is more or less persistent, and you never know when. You know the the PCs might say, "Hey, you know, we did talk to that one shopkeeper or whatever back in uh, you know that one town. They owe us a favor. Let's yeah. go talk to them." Yeah, contacts are a thing in Seventh C. Uh, contacts are and reputation are a thing in a lot of games. Mm-hmm. So I I don't see that as a problem. I mean, you can literally put it down. Like depending on what kind of an NPC it is and what it meant to the PCs, yeah, they could have a, a bonus whenever they roll. Anything on charisma with them. Sure. You know? You guys ever go back to Sullenshore, you've got a, a yep. whole village of people who just love you. Yep. You know? Yeah, and will take care of us. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I think I think those are the types of things that become valuable the longer you get into a campaign. Mm-hmm. It has a value. Um, likewise, those NPCs uh, can have negative values. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, keep the name there, keep what they were there and what their meaningfulness because you never know when another NPC is going to go raise a village and they're going to go choose a specific village. Oh, and, and not not only that, but like even – I mean even, even stepping down from the whole this guy just became your next big bad evil guy thing, but um, – you know when you're when you're piecing together plots and you're like, hey, I want to add some sort of a complication into this plot. I want to, you know, they they they're going to, you know, infiltrate the manor um, under the guise of servants so that they can gather information. But I want to throw a complication in there where, you know, maybe like, oh, hold on a second, they totally pissed that one NPC off. What if that's the new master of servants? Right. <laughs> what, if or, that's, what if that's the new maitre d' for the, uh, or, for the, for or, the manor house? Or otherwise, they make contact with somebody. They take care of them, hopefully ushering them out of their lives. Maybe mm-hmm. they were annoying. Maybe it was a problem. Mm-hmm. They go to a party. They're trying to blend in and not be recognized so they can you know, take care of someone who's there or steal something. And this person comes in as, hey, guys, it's so great to oh see you. Oh, my God. I haven't oh, seen you since we should totally sit down and drink. And exactly. Now they have something they have to get around. Yep. You know, so I think that's definitely a, a direction to take that. Yeah. So uh, the, the, the short answer to your question is uh, neither. neither burn out nor fade away. You put them in the toolbox and use them later. That's right. Make a list mm-hmm. and bring them back in another story. If you've yeah. got the same world, I do that all the time. All right. Uh, we've got probably room for what? One more? Yeah. Let say? me. Um, you know, we we uh, we have not answered one from Draven yet, so hmm. let's let's grab that one. Okay. Uh, what is something players do at your table that drives you absolutely crazy? Oh, it's a two part question. Um, uh, two uh, drives you absolutely crazy. We'll start with that. Um, I would say the two things. Uh, there's a couple things that drive me crazy at my game at my table. Um. It's when players get bored and don't listen. Yeah. Like they just yep. – they, they give up on listening to the story because it's not involving them directly in that scene maybe. I agree. Uh, and end up doing something else like playing on their phones or on a tablet or or worse yet, pulling someone else into their boredom. 300 percent. That is also my answer. I think we can move on to the second half of the question. Sure. Um what is one thing you would like to receive to make your games better if there were no limitations on funds oh, and Jesus. free time is not an option? Jesus. I, I know I know exactly what my answer is. Go for it. Um, I would like a complete set of Hero Forges – or not uh, – of uh, Dwarven Forge um, uh, terrain. Honestly, like the complete set because honestly it's I – beautiful. I, I'm a big miniatures person. I'm a very visual person. I think it really adds to combat scenes a lot when you have – when you can look down and you can see it. Yeah. And Because it, it takes pressure off of your mind's eye 
and now you can imagine yourself in the scene rather than having to imagine yourself in the scene and the scene itself. Right. And it solves all those mind's eye problems of like, okay, well, I'm going to swing at the skeleton that's attacking Rob. Well, yeah, but that skeleton is like 30 feet away from you. Oh, I thought he was right next to me. Yeah. You know, now I have to spend a move to get there and now I can't, can't do my full attack action or whatever. Right, right. You know, it solves all these complications. You can literally look and see Rob, see the skeleton, see the 30 feet between you, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, so for, for me, it, if money was not an object, um, it would save me so much time and so much energy to just have a full set of Dwarven Forge train. I would say <laughs> for me – uh, it would be finishing my game space in the basement with the table that I that I'd like to have there, um, because I've been wanting a dedicated gaming space pretty much since I moved in the house, uh, and it's been a slow, long, arduous journey to get the things that we needed set up in the house, and I would love to have that space so that I can set things up and I can have a space that everybody wants to come down to to game in. Uh, versus setting up for game, which you know is a thing, and that's it's what it is. But I, I would love that dedicated space. That would mean, I think that would that would make it for me. That's living the dream. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Joe Manganiello's uh, uh, Gary Gygax Memorial Man Cave D and D? I have not. Oh, it's it's spectacular. I'm sure it is. It's based on sound alone. Yeah. Okay. I mean, when, when you're when you're Joe Manganiello, God, I can never pronounce this guy's name. You're fine. Um, you know, married to Sofia uh, Vergara. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's you know, you, you're doing fine. You, you, you're you're doing okay. Yeah. But at the same time, you're entertaining for a certain crowd. You are. You are. And his uh, his 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 play space is impressive. Impressive. That is that is fantastic. That is fantastic. Okay. I think we we got maybe one more one if, if it's quick. Well, uh, I, I Kate, Kate has given us the five minute warning. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. Uh, I'm gonna hit Technolich's other one. Okay, do it. Uh, and that is, uh, what are some good ways to inform players of laws of a new territory that is being explored? Uh, I know Storyteller Rob had mentioned Justicars before, but mm-hmm. other than a, a welcome wagon, what are some good ways to announce laws without throwing the party in jail for wearing leather on the holy day, for example? Uh, I, I personally think that your first move should not be throw them in jail. Yeah. Um, I think there are social cues that you're going to be following from other people. Mm-hmm. You may have perception checks so that they may notice that something is different societally. You know, everybody seems to be wearing these brooches. Everybody seems to be addressing, you know, other people with certain salutations or something like that. I think um, it has to, I think it also has to deal with, do your players live in this world? Or did they just show up? Right, right. Is it important that they don't know? Because I think if that becomes a plot point that they don't know, then discussing the laws are an important thing. Mm -hmm. But I think if it's not that important and you're just trying to, I don't know, gotcha them with a law, that seems very fishy. Like 7th C, dueling is against the law. Pretty much everywhere. Sure. To the death and murder is against the law. Mm-hmm. Players say that, you know, go and attack people all the time in combat and stuff like that, but you're never killing. You're yeah. disabling, and that's just assumed. When a player actually does murder, it means something. Uh huh. And that sometimes isn't always addressed properly, and that's when it can be a gotcha. Like, you did something serious, and the other players know it. Mm hmm. You know, and now you've got blood on your hands. So I think uh, I would say it only becomes important when it's plot relevant to to the situation. I would say. Other than that, I think it's flavor and setting. Yeah, I think it's flavor and setting. Um, I, I would do uh, unless it's a gotcha. Uh, I, I would I would opt towards one of two things if you're doing this whole you know strange laws in a new land thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're if they're very strange, mm-hmm. um, the kingdom is probably aware that the you know the the other place that they the other territory that they border on does not follow these same laws. Right. It may be posted at the border. Right. You you may have border checkpoints that say, look, beyond this point, this is illegal. Yeah. You know, crossing to this territory, you understand that you know you have you have read and agreed to this yep. sort of user end user license agreement sort yeah. of thing. No sword, no bows. Leave your weapons here. Yeah. You know? Um. There there may even be guards there enforcing it. Yeah. Of, of just like you know there would be. 
halt, you know, just so you're aware, this is the law of our land. We're going to need to take take care of this before you cross this checkpoint. Thank right. you for thank you for your dedication. Likewise, yeah. if you're like if you're in a courtly thing and it's an event and it's a certain time and it's a different court, maybe it's a a a, a, a not local court, you mm-hmm. might have them roll to see do they know the etiquette for this? Sure. How are they going to get around that? Sure. And will they point out other etiquette flaws? Exactly. And it, and it may just be nothing more than a social gaffe. Yeah. You know, you may have you may have someone who is in the know, maybe a local or, or mm-hmm. someone at least educated, pull them aside hastily and go, "What are you, what are you doing? What do you mean what am I doing? You're wearing red." Yeah. Oh, okay. Is that only nobles wear red? Exactly. Here, put put this on. Put yeah. this on, you yeah. know. Change so we don't have an incident, and, and therefore you've informed them of the world building. You've right. informed them, of, you know, of the setting of the laws, of the land, right. without having to do something consequential to them. Right. And now it's important. And if they see someone wearing red, yeah. they know the importance of that. Exactly. Person. They're Even either if they a noble or a liar. Correct. <laughs> Correct. So, all right. So our next week is our Christmas episode. Yep. Um, which we'll be talking about uh, gifts of hope, uh, and. Gifts in game and uh, holidays and you know yeah. other other, other things that we don't necessarily think about yeah. when we're talking about gaming on a gen- on a regular basis. So, um, we can be found on Twitter at st underscore conclave or Instagram at st underscore conclave. Uh, you can find our Discord link in our t- uh, Twitter uh, post. It's usually pinned there. Uh, and uh, join us there. We'd love to have you on our Discord. Yep. And also in the description of every single uh, podcast episode, we also put it in the, uh, in the, the info there. Uh, we would like to give a big shout out to our Patreon members uh, for uh, for helping support the show, especially Knox in the Box, especially yep. for uh, for uh, giving us the topic to discuss tonight. Thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, um, Intro music is uh, Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that on geefrogmusic.weebly.com. Uh, you can also find our outro music, Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. That's at uh, soundcloud.com slash midairmachine. <laughs> we uh, record here at Podcast Detroit. Uh, that's podcastdetroit.com. Uh, that can be found on Twitter at Podcast Detroit. Our engineer tonight is Caitlin, and we are so glad to have her. And we'd like to thank our families, Sean, Vicky, thank you so much, and all of our friends who make this possible. And all of our listeners, we love you all. Thank you, and good night. Good night.